Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Sean. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming Ben Feller to the podcast. We are talking about Ben's first book, his latest book, Big Problems, Little Problems. It's a fantastic book. It's a wonderful conversation. Ben was absolutely delightful, and I'm excited for you to hear about it. Uh, A little bit about Ben. Ben is an award-winning writer who covered two presidents, President George W. Bush and President Barack Obama, and now helps people and organizations tell their own stories. He is also a writing coach, moderator, media advisor, and public speaker on parenting, politics, and the power of communications. A first-time child children's book author, Ben's most important title, Sam Feller's dad, is the one that drove him to write Big Problems, Little Problems, a father-son tale about conquering life's frustrations together. The book is built on Ben's love of parenting, his career in problem-solving, and his pride in watching Sam grow up as a compassionate, joyful boy. This conversation was extraordinary. I had a lot of fun with Ben. I cannot wait to have him back on the show again. But before we get to my conversation with Ben, uh, I do want to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on nostalgia overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours, but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. Now, without further ado, my conversation with Ben is right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. I am super excited. I have got an author extraordinaire, former White House correspondent, Ben Feller, on the show with me today. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Joe? I'm doing well. I am trying to stay cool. Down here in Texas, it is not an easy feat. I think I've made this joke on a couple of episodes now. Um, The weather keeps increasing. So uh, luckily, the AC unit is working well. And so we will continue on. But I am trying to stay cool. And this conversation uh, I'm excited to have, uh, you know, is going to take my mind off the heat outside for sure. I'm here for you. (laughs) For you. Glad to hear it. Well, Ben, here at the Detox Podcast, we ask listeners or we invite them to quote-unquote detox from the world around them, get a window into how other people live their lives. So I'd like to ask the guests at the top of the episode, Ben, what are you currently detoxing from? Oh, wow. You know, I'm, I'm detoxing from a lot of change. Hmm. Um, change has been good for me this year, but... It's also been so much of it at the same time. I've, I've launched the book and I've started a new job. Uh, I've got some changes in my living situation here in New York City. It, it is hot here as well. Um, working in Manhattan in the heart of the summer and in a new in a new gig. And, uh, you know, there there is an unrelenting, it seems, battery of things to detox from. And so I think in some ways it's, it's just the combination of life. However, I also feel very blessed including uh, uh, about the, the, the book that we're going to talk about. And yep. so I'm, I, I, I try not to complain. Uh, I took the bait on that one. 
but uh <laughs> but i'm doing okay overall <laughs> that's good it's good to hear you know one thing that i've been focused on a lot this summer specifically has been on how however maybe frustrated or distracted i seem to get with something in the moment taking a step back to realize you know this is really i'm holding up the book now a little problem not a big problem and so i'm able to have a bit of clarity over my situation and uh, appreciate all that I've got going on for me right now. But since I, I did that little segue, Ben, let's talk about the book. So you just, back in May, uh, released Big Problems, Little Problems, and it's about your relationship with your son. And so, and this is the first book that you've written, correct? All right. So I'd love to know, what was the impetus for you to write the book at this particular time? Sure. So... The book is really about how to make life a little easier. It is a it is a father son tale uh, pulled right from my life with my son Sam, but it has a broader story for uh, all families of, of young kids, and increasingly, I'm finding for families of, of of all kinds who want to find a heartwarming story, hopefully that makes their lives a little bit easier. The inspiration came from at first raising my son and like a lot of parents just figuring out how do we solve the problems of daily life yeah. when my son was little and he got frustrated my instincts were to say oh, i gotta make you feel better right. how do we do that right and my way was to instinctively just get down on one knee so i was at his eye level and to say let's slow down and take three deep breaths didn't read that anywhere there's no magic number to that i just thought three sounded good yeah. And I said, is this a big problem or a little problem? He said, I, I, I don't know. And so I realized I had to show him what I meant. And so he was struggling to zip a zipper and we figured it out. And I said, the difference is, is that when you realize that something is little, you got it, you did it, it's done. Yeah. Take a deep breath. Let's have a handshake. Let's have a hug. There's nothing more to worry about because the problem is solved. Let's take this big moment of frustration and make it little. And I did not think at that time, Joe, that that was a children's book. I was just parenting in the right. best way I could. Yeah. And when uh, the inspiration for the book itself came, when my son saw me frustrated, heard me exasperated and said to me, Daddy, don't get frustrated. Big problem or little problem. And he was not only he wasn't he wasn't parroting it back. Like I heard you right. say he right. felt it like I've learned this. Don't you forget either. I don't like to see you like this. He was in his car seat and I saw his eyes through the rear view mirror stuck in New York city traffic. And that's when like I said, what, what a profound moment of teaching in both directions. And as a writer, this is pretty cool. Like, I don't know how often father son books are written like this, the father's perspective, the son's perspective, but it doesn't matter. I think there's a story here and that's how it came about. I, Love that. Well, there, you said a couple of things that were fascinating to me. One, you had the importance of, I got down on his level. I looked him in the eye. I think it is so easy as a parent, speaking from a parent's perspective, right? That we're talking, we're looking down at our children, we're talking to them, but we're not realizing the, the, the view of talking down, physically talking down 
to our children versus let me get down on your level. Let's look eye to eye. We're peers in this situation. We're looking at each other and I'm helping you through something that seems very important and earth shattering at the moment. And that's key. I, I think there's, I'm thinking back so many different parenting moments in my life where I would be trying to reason with my children about a little problem and nothing would get through until I instinctively just got down and was looking at them and talking to them face to face. Then they felt heard. They felt understood. They felt, yeah, this is a little problem, not a big problem. And in a lot of ways, that's all we want as humans, right? Is to be, is to feel like someone gets us in that moment and is there for us from that perspective. Absolutely. And you know, the other part about making sure that you don't talk down to a kid by getting down to his or her level is that you also don't talk down to them by talking down to them, you know, by saying, I'm late, you're making a big deal about your zipper or your lost toy. It's not a big deal. Cheer up, calm down. Like those things are not helpful. Right. Right. You, we, we, do, we don't realize, or maybe we, we do realize and we do it anyway, that that's talking down to a kid who, who in that moment, it is a big deal to them. They're not yes. worried about 14 things. They're worried about one and they haven't gone through life enough to know that some things are really not that worth, not worth sweating about. And so it's up to us to not talk down by saying, let me show you how to solve the problem. Let me teach you the difference between big and little problems. And in the book, the son learns the words frustration, the words mm. perspective, how you look at things, the word patience. And I think that was a key point for me was to show that we we do need to be at their level of empathy and compassion, as well as being at their level physically so we can see them eye to eye. Yeah, that's incredibly powerful and is something that is very easy to forget about in the heat of the moment and so critical that we don't lose sight of that because it's going to it's going to give the kids an opportunity to learn and then be able to share some of that wisdom back i i loved the part in the book where you have the moment of your kid providing that lesson back to you and i just think about so many times I have to stop and think in the course of my day when I am getting frustrated about a little problem. Is this, Joe, is this a big problem or is this a little problem? Well, it feels big right now. All right, let's take a step back. Let's think through this, right? Could you get another coffee? Could you tell your boss you're late, right? Can you get more papers kind of a thing? Yes, yes, and yes. Then it's a little problem. It's okay. And I that, that lesson is equally powerful for me as an adult, as a parent, as it is for the children. So to your point, it's a wonderful two-way learning opportunity for parents and kids. Um, What has been the reaction you've received since publication and people have been able to read it? What has been some of the reactions you've gotten from the public? You know, I'd love to give you a, a collective reaction, but as I think about the question, all I can think about are very individual stories um videos that my friends have taken with reading it to their kids um and and the like but also surprisingly young kids you know age 
one, two, three who have fallen in love with it and asked to read it every night. And I get these updates from my friend. Okay, update. You know, my son has now memorized it and he's talking about little problems in his sleep before he goes to sleep and while he's sleeping. Uh, you know, the the joy of kids um, reading it to their younger siblings. Um, it, it's really been, it's those moments of, of connection. These are people who I know and so they're obviously wanting to support me. But the story then changes. It's not about, did you get my book and do you like my book? It's that their children are asking for it and it's become part of their nighttime ritual. And that gives me perspective. That reminds me of why I wrote this thing. Because once you publish a book and go through the process, this was all new to me. There's a lot of work and there's a lot of patience. No no, no joke. And, and um, it, it takes a lot of time and you don't know how it's going to be received. But that's not why I wrote it. Those are nice things. You know, I wrote it as a passion story of helping my son and my son helping me. And so when I see the reaction of friends and their kids, it's like, that's, that's what it's all about. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of them and it's really heartwarming. That's wonderful to hear. Thank you for sharing that. It is not lost on me how we as a society are starting to have powerful books, such as big problems, little problems, that help both parents and children from this life lesson mental health perspective. You're seeing more and more of these, what may be on the surface to the untrained eyes seem like, okay, this is a nice lesson. And then you start reading it and you start interacting with it. Then you start applying the lessons and you're like, this is giving me a lot more peace of mind than I thought I could ever have. And so we find it's multi-layered and multifaceted. And I'm finding that at least in my perspective, I'm finding a lot more books in a similar way of how do we think about our day? How do we interact with our world in this effort to carve out some peace for us? So I know you may not have originally thought like, I'm contributing to this. I'm just writing this as a passion project, not just, I'm writing this as a passion project. Um, but I feel like it, or, and I feel like it's folding into this movement in trying to create this healthier space, mental healthier space for us than we've previously had. So I just wanted to thank you for contributing to that. Well, you're welcome. And I, I do think that it is timely because of the palpable anxiety that is different yeah. now in, in my son's lifetime than it was in the pandemic than it was before. Right. And certainly in my lifetime, there just is this, we watched young children become accustomed to having to worry about getting sick or getting other people sick in a way right. that they, they just, um, it, it's, it's sad and right. it affects their schooling and affects their, their friendships, it affects their mental health. Yeah. And so I think that the, the book that talks about, joy and empathy and problem solving and, and levity and, and kids make mistakes and parents make mistakes. But when you do feel anxious, yeah, there are some things you can do if you take a moment and help each other. And here's an example of how, right. And, and I do feel like the timing is, is good in that way. And hopefully a lot of other people find that to be the case too. Yeah. I can think about this summer, my work returned in person in waves and it was not a requirement right but the first time i went back in the office after having not been in there for almost two years 
I was like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I wear? How do I dress? Where's my badge? Where's my laptop? Where's my charger? All the things. And I went through all of these like mental gymnastics that were second nature before the pandemic, right? And so I had to stop and go, is this a big problem or is this a little problem? And it was very hard. You know, I, we're all, you know, grab a desk wherever you want. There's no assigned seating. And it's like, that's great on paper. But it's like, I kind of liked my routine. If I knew that I came up to the third floor and went to the back corner and there was my cubicle, right? Kind of a thing. So it's, it's, it is timely as, as adults and as kids, especially with the kids growing up in this era to have the tools and resources to be able to navigate a lot of these situations for sometimes the first time is going to be key incredibly. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen my son go through that and, and boy, I've gone through it too, Joe. Yeah. I, I remember taking him to a school picnic when things started to open up again and mm. he flocked over to see his kids, to see his friends. And I was kind of like, I don't know what to do here right? because other parents were milling about. And I, I, it was a very strange, very strange feeling yeah. to not feel that comfortable in just chatting. Uh, and I've had to kind of work through that, but yeah, I, I also think that, the I'm, you asked earlier about the reaction. I have been heartened by the reaction of, uh, ups like you who have found meaning in the story and, and found, uh, that little reminder, like, you know what? I don't have to send this email right now. I don't, right. I, I don't, it can wait. You know, we're always so busy. So take a moment and put it down and come back to it. And that's, that's certainly not something that I've conquered, but I've gotten better at it myself. Right. Right. I agree. Well, I want to, before I transition to a couple other questions that I have for you, um, let folks know what's the best place for them to get uh, their own copy of Big Problems, Little Problems. Sure. The easy answer is that wherever you buy your books, it'll be there. They'll either have it in stock or can order it for you. Um, if you would like to see a bunch of places where you could get it, including uh, independent bookstores, as well as the, the big uh, change, you can go to my website, bigproblemslittleproblems.com. And there's a bunch of really easy links there to just click and purchase. You'll also see some fun background about me and my son and, and other things on, on the website. So uh, it should be easy to buy. Perfect. We'll put all of that in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you're like, now, wait a minute, what did he just say? Just scroll down and just click, click the link and you'll be good to go. Now, now, Ben, we talked a little bit at the at the top very briefly about you being a former White House correspondent. So you if I recall correctly, if I read correctly, you worked uh, you covered, I should say, uh, George W. Bush administration and the Barack Obama administration as well for a time. Uh, so I I am a, a bit of a, a, a political junkie, uh, so to speak. So I would like to know what was it like for you covering both of those different administrations and a little bit of a side question to that. Uh, what was it like just being in journalism within Washington? Yeah, I mean, it was a, a life-changing experience. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who is careful or tries to be with the words. I do words for a living. And so when I say life-changing, it really was. I was in my mid-30s. I was working for the Associated Press in Washington covering national education, which was a really interesting beat. And I was ready for a change, and, and we went over a bunch of options, and the bureau chief said, we're going to put you on the White House team. And my life uh, instantly transformed because I had to know so much more about so many topics. And the AP is is renowned for you know being fair, being straight, being fast, but you've got 
to get the story and you got to get it right and you got to get it fast. And, and then as my years went on, I also was charged with writing a lot of analytical pieces, running coverage for the White House Bureau. So it was it was a marvelous life experience. It was also um, all consuming. And so I did it for six years. I covered two years of President Bush and four years of President Obama. And that might not sound like a long time to uh, your listeners and uh, six years in a job, you know, is standard for a lot of people, but it was a very intense time. Yeah. Um, every day the White House is intense, but, uh, you know, it was really, I did it. I loved it. And I decided I wanted to do something else, which is why I went into consulting and, and also writing this book. But I, I loved being a, a political journalist in Washington. I mean, you really, it's a small town, <clears throat> even though it's the nation's capital. And when you figure out how to understand that city and the branches of government, the politics, the, the, the movements, the rhythms of a day, and, and the world gets really small, Joe, then there's a small number of reporters who really get stories and, and understand how to, how to get people to talk and really understand how to explain Washington mm. to a lot of people outside the Beltway which is the most rewarding part of it. And, and I got to do all of that and feel very, very grateful about it. There's probably a lot that you're not able to say, but I would love to know maybe what is one of the stories that you wrote during your time there that you're most proud of? You know, I uh, covered a, a, a somber, the, the most somber story really when president Obama went to Dover Um mm -hmm effort base to 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 greet the remains of uh soldiers who had been killed in this horrific attack in afghanistan and the policy of the uh, administration was to allow the media to cover that process which is called the dignified transfer if families allowed it one family did and so we were able to, to see it and and i was covering the the, the gravity of that and filing up updates all night and, and sending in updates on my phone and back to the Washington office. And when I got back, it was like four in the morning. And my assignment then was to say, look, we need one more version of the story for the people who were sleeping during all of this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to wake up and we need it to look like, you know, a fresh version for what we call the wire, the wire service that goes out to all the newspapers and radio stations and TV stations. And I thought about that image of the president standing there in the darkness with his, his, his most consequential task of, of seeing the cost of war while most everybody else, you know, in the East coast was asleep. And so I, I led my story that way about, you know, standing in the, in the pre-dawn darkness, president Obama saw uh, the, the real consequence, you know, of war soldiers coming home in caskets while the, most of the nation sleeps in peace. That was what I wrote. And I wrote that even though I was exhausted because the editor overnight said, just put me there. Four words just put me there and 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 it freed me to write what I saw and write it with some emotion. And that was a really meaningful story. Uh, I found out later that that story went through the White House staff and they're not a, a particularly um, gracious group when it comes to praising reporters. And that's not their job. But they said, listen, we were really proud that you covered that story like you did. You did the family's proud. You did. You did. You know, the dignified transfer service proud. And, uh, and that story meant, meant a lot to me. I still think about it. It weighs on me, but it also feels like I, I, you know, I had moments that lasted. Thank you for sharing that. I will get that link and, uh, for that article and put it in the show notes as 
well for those who are listening. It, um, you know, it, you, Ben, you are a man of many talents, I would say, uh, definitely uh, an incredible storyteller, and you're providing life lessons, whether you're writing about the president in this situation, whether you're writing about your son and the relationship that you have with him, and you're allowing all of us uh, to learn and grow in this space. What I would, what I would ask you, as we're probably getting ready to wrap here in a moment or so, is if somebody out there, I've got the, these two questions sort of go together, but I would say if someone out there is thinking about how do I get started in journalism and finding, and maybe not even start in journalism, I would say finding my voice in journalism, what advice would you give to them? And then also if someone is looking to find their voice in writing a book, what's some other advice you would give them? It might be the same piece of advice, but um, I'm just curious what perspective you have to share with our listeners. I think those are two different challenges. Sure. The finding your voice in journalism comes from from doing it, from really doing it, because you you can't fake that. You can't fake the funk there. You have to really know your subject matter, uh, be be practiced at the craft and the, and the recraft of, of writing, and really knowing, um, feeling comfortable in in the stories you're telling the audiences. Once you do that then you begin to realize I have a I have a distinctive way of explaining this that is that is specific to me as a writer. And when that comes through, you know, it makes the stories richer and it makes you feel more fulfilled. And so I did have a voice. There were stories that people told me like that Ben we could tell Ben wrote that story. Right. It was it was my voice and it's a bit of a intangible, but it really comes with a confidence like I am not trying to impress. I am not uh, trying to to have puffery here. I'm just writing it in the way that I know is right. It is accurate. It is fair, but it is not stodgy. It is not stiff. I'm telling you what happened. I'm telling you what happened. Right. And with that, that's where that piece in Dover came from. That was my voice. Um, the book is different because, you know, you obviously are not bound by the the strict the structures of journalism, and you know you can write what you want. You can say it how you want. Uh, you can have short sentences. You can have long sentences. You can have anecdotes or you could, you know, go into theories about space. I mean, it, it's it, it's a different way to have a voice. I think you are a lot freer, uh, but it's incredibly hard to put something together that makes it through the machinery of publishers saying that is something that I think I want to invest in so that other people can do it. So you know, if, if you really want to try, I would encourage anybody to try and just put down something that matters to you. That's how you find your voice in book writing. The, nothing about this book was easy, it, with one exception, which was when I wrote this and I was writing about how it felt to raise my son and how it felt to have my son teach me perspective, there was no question about what's my voice here. That's my life. That's yeah. my son. That's my love, right? So right. the questions became mechanical ones. How, what do I do with this? How do I get it through? What you know. Right. But, 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 you know, so then now the question becomes tougher. Well, what if I do a second book? Where does that take me? Do I do a political book? Do I, uh, do I write another thing about parenting? Well, you know, and got us just like the AP, you, you, the privilege of having written something is you start with a blank screen and you got to right. do it all over again. But that, those are my, I would think about, you know, those questions I raised and I would certainly encourage people to write, to practice writing, to write. And if nothing else, They've written it for themselves, which matters. And they might be writing something for their family for later years. You never know. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing that advice. 
We're going to transition to the final segment of the show before we wrap. It is a segment uh, I call Things to Check Out. It is a segment where I provide a recommendation to our listeners of something I'm reading, watching, or listening to, and I invite my guests to do the same. So I will go first. Um, Number one, uh, what folks should be reading, if they haven't picked it up yet, by the end of this episode is Big Problems, Little Problems by our good friend Ben Feller right here, illustrated by Marseille Lopez. Wonderful illustrations in this book, by the way. Incredible illustrations. She did an excellent job. So definitely pick that up if you haven't already. But some other recommendations that I have. Um, If you are a fan of baseball, it is the summer right now. Uh, Former guest and friend of the podcast, John Rosengren, wrote a book, Classic Baseball, which is a collection of different articles he's written for Sports Illustrated and a lot of other publications over the years. It's got, uh, he covers a historical story of where the Ku Klux Klan played a team from the Negro Leagues back in the day. There's also a story about winter snowshoe baseball in the middle of summer. A lot of interesting uh, interesting articles and pieces that he's collected in there. So go check that out. Uh, I am also listening to, I'm a big fan. I mentioned I'm a political junkie. My uh, political podcast of choice is Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod Mike Murphy. I can't get enough of those two going back and forth. I enjoy it. It keeps me sane uh, in uh, the swirl of all the different news outlet choices. So check that out. And then the last thing I'm watching, uh, or the last thing I'm can, I recommend, is I'm watching Only Murders in the Building, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez on Hulu. It's about a group of uh, people who create a podcast and try and solve a murder in their building. It's It's great fun. Highly encourage it. Uh, so, Ben, what are you watching, reading, or listening to? Well, that's a lot. Well, first of all, I got to go get classic baseball uh, because I'm a huge fan, and I've become even more of a fan if that's possible because I've gotten my son into it, and we go to Yankee games and and uh, enjoy that so much. There's some Yankee stories, um, there, I believe. So he's usually yeah. a Twins fan, but I'll I'll send you the link. Yeah, um, you know my my tastes run uh, all over the place. Um, you know, right now I'm reading a book called The Language of Trust, which is an incredibly shameless plug, but but true, but unintended, because it is written by uh, one of my fellow partners at my new job, Michael Meslansky. I, I work now at a firm called Meslansky and Partners that helps other people tell their stories with authenticity and resonance for audiences. We are a language strategy firm. So that is on my coffee table as I look to my left. Um, as well as a bunch of uh, political uh, books on the last three presidents um, and some some mystery thrillers. I am uh, I'm watching uh, baseball. I am going back into the vault and watching Seinfeld uh, nice. to introduce uh, that to my son, who has just turned 11 and asked me the other night uh, before we went to bed if the guy who plays Jerry Seinfeld writes his own stuff. And I said, the guy who plays Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah. Yeah. I said, that is Jerry Seinfeld. He's like, no, no, no. Like, they all have character names. I go, well, that's his name. And he's like, but why would only he? I said, that's Jerry Seinfeld. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how old am I? <laughs> and he, that was really funny. Um, and uh, what else? What was the other one? Listening, Listening to? to? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the political podcast. Um, David Axelrod was a source of mine at the White House when I covered the Obama administration. Oh, nice. I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, you know, I, um, I've i also been going back in time there and listening to some of the, the music that um, got me through my college years. And um, one of my favorite albums of all time is Blood on the Tracks by Bob Dylan. Nice. Um, it is not a, there's re- I don't think there's a single song on there that I, I don't like or love. So 
uh, if there are any uh, folks out there who don't know Dylan or it's been a while, I would go back there. I'd love to give you some more contemporary offerings, but you know, part of this is, is uh, <laughs> introducing my son to what I, what I knew because you know, I can, he's, I yep. still got a captive audience. He's 11. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, you already mentioned your website, big problems, little We'll put that in the show notes, but if, uh, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to on social media, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Uh, I'm on uh, Instagram at uh, Ben Feller NY. And actually the book has its own handle, Big Problems, Little Problems. Uh, so you could get me either way there. I'm also on Twitter, uh, Ben Feller NY. And, uh, you know, you can you can reach me through uh, any of those channels. And um, there's a spot to leave a comment or reach out to me on my website if you want to drop me an email. If any of your listeners are interested in topics of parenting, writing, uh, politics and want to keep the conversation going. I'm loving it. And I'm really seeing this as a moment for engaged dads like you That's right. and me to tell our story. So happy to do it and happy to connect with them. I love it. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been a delight and I may or may not invite you back on uh, to talk politics in the, uh, in the near future. You never know. I, I will, <laughs> I will welcome that. Uh, I have been uh, detoxing from politics a bit. However, I am ready to, to offer thoughts and analysis. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one again, but we'll, one, one topic at a time, but I'm happy to exactly. come back, Joe. Thank you so much. No problem. Well, listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast, or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit VocalNow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.